0: I'm going to give you a little background. We'll dig into the Word, but before we do that, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We ask now as we go to your Word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to each and every one of us. No one is here by chance. I pray anybody that's new today that they would feel welcomed and loved. We do pray for the many in our fellowship that are out sick right now, many families. We pray for those that are out because of surgeries and different... Uh, physical ailments, and we lift up the Column family as Dana's uh, mom went to be with the Lord this week. And well, Lord, we just lift up our church family, and we just thank you, Lord, that in the midst of trials, you're a faithful God, and that we can trust you, and we can count it all joy in the midst of it, knowing that through these trials, we will grow in our relationship with you. So Lord, be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. So James, we've been talking about this, that James... Uh, the, the first chapter really speaks of the marks of a mature Christian. And what does it be, what does it mean to be a, a Christian? and what does it mean to be a mature Christian? You know some of us are are, are new in our faith and some of us have been uh, walking with the Lord a long time, but that doesn't really determine maturity. Maturity is something that takes place when we grow in our relationship with the Lord. And what we've seen in the first chapter so far that trials, it's something we don't enjoy, but it's the thing that helps us grow the most. You know, it said in John, in, early on in the chapter, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. For trials produce patience, perfecting of our faith. And so we talked about the word there for, for, you know, patience is hupomone. It means to stand under. And so every one of us is going, is either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or about to go into a trial. Trials. It doesn't say if you fall into various trials, it's when. How many of you guys are going through a trial right now? Okay, look around the room. Most of us are. But here's what we need to understand about the trial. The trial is an opportunity to grow. And God allows the trials to come. And when he allows them to come, he also, we know that he won't give us more than we can bear. And he's going to hold it up with us. Hupamone, we want to stand under it. We don't want to miss out on growing through it. Then we saw temptation last week. Temptation is a direct contradiction in a sense to trials. Trials come from God, are given by God to grow us. Temptation comes from the devil and he tempts us to draw us away from the Lord. This will strengthen our walk, trials, and temptations seek to, to bring harm to our relationship with the Lord. But we talked about the fact that temptations aren't just an opportunity to fall, they are an opportunity to grow. If we resist the devil, what does he do? He flees from us. And so when the temptation comes, as I tell, you know, my family, as I tell people when I counsel, I tell myself and remind myself that when I am tempted and when you are tempted, it's not just an opportunity to fall, it's an opportunity to grow. And what gives us the strength to endure temptation? The same word there, that hoopamone. See, when we stand under the trials, it prepares us to stand firm when tempted, See the trials are not wasted. No suffering is wasted. We talk about this often. Show me somebody used mildly in Scripture, and I'll show you somebody who suffered greatly. We don't. There's certain things we don't want to suffer, but you know what? It's not going to be wasted. And the and the greatest trials of life is going to draw us more into the image of our Savior. And what we should do is just praise Him for it. Shall we praise Him in times of blessing and not in times of adversity? Amen? Yes. We need to praise him always. So grab this morning's outline, and I tell the message, true religion. Religion is a word that I've come to not to dislike, not because of what it really means, we'll talk about that in a moment, but what it's come to mean. And what religion has come to mean, if you use the word religion, it's not a positive word for most people, because what it's come to mean is man-made rituals that we must try to keep to somehow please God. And these rituals and these uh, all these things that are poured out, and you got to do this and this and, or to, to please God. But the word religion actually comes from a Latin word, relingara, and relingara means to relink. And I love what that word means. It's relinking sinful man back to holy God. See, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, all of us were born into sin, and we were born separated from God. But the word religion, what, it's come, what it means in its original form is that Jesus came to relink sinful man. See, we were separated from Almighty God, and then Jesus came, and he built a bridge between sinners like us that we can come into the presence of the creator of the universe. So in the original language, I love what it means, but I've come to really despise what it means in the world today. When I think of religion, I think of the Pharisees. I think of people wearing black robes with a wheelbarrow full of rules and sucking on a lemon. You know what I'm talking about? You know, just that, that ah, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that. Guys, if that's your relationship with the Lord, let me introduce him to you. Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. It's a get-to to love Jesus. Can you imagine trying to live this life without him? We love the Lord. We're so blessed to be his sons and daughters, adopted into his family with the promise of eternal life, knowing that we're going to close our eyes on earth and open them up in glory. And if you don't know that relationship with him, I pray you don't leave here without him. May today be the day of salvation. Amen? So. That's, here's the outline for this morning. True religion, God's definition, not man's. Not man-made rules and rituals, but a relationship with God. How we grow in our relationship with the Lord. Now, we're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're saved by grace. But should our lives produce good works? What's the answer? Okay. By your fruit, they shall know you. So it's not faith or works, and it's not faith plus works. It's faith that works. Amen? Amen. So it's not faith and works that save you. It's faith alone and Christ alone. He, it is finished, paid in full on the cross of Calvary. That being said, if we're truly walking with the Lord, it will be reflected in our lives. We've talked about this, that throughout the scriptures, we see as the letters are being written specifically, that there's this is what we believe, and now here's how we behave. In light of what we know about who the Lord is, then this is how we respond. And that's what this chapter is going to be about. In light of what we believe, how now should we behave? First of all, laying aside wickedness and receiving the word. I love how this in this one verse, wickedness, fleeing from it, and receiving the word are tied together. Because guys, the only way we can live a life apart from wickedness and and walk away from the filthiness and the things of this world is if we're people of the word. Amen. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... The Word of God. So if you want your faith to grow, spend more time in God's Word. And it's only God's Word that will equip you to resist the devil, will equip you to live a holy and set apart, will equip you to be able to share the hope that lies within you, will equip you from whatever trial may come your way. And the only way that we can stand in the midst of a wicked and a perverse world and honor the Lord is if we are people of the Word and if we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Without him, I can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So first, we're going to look at by laying aside wickedness, how we view sin, being filled with the word and not the world, being doers of the word, not hearers only. See, again, true belief is reflected in how we behave. Knowing what the Bible says is not enough. The demons believe and tremble. I believe in the Bible. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. You hear that all the time, and you're hopeful that that that's true. But this Gallup poll, and that's old. It's about 20 years old. But the latest one I found said that 88% of Americans claim to be Christians. How many believe it's anywhere near that number? All you got to do is look around the world. Now, we want to pray for all of them. We want to see them all saved. Amen? We have a burden for the lost. Every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. But that being said, just saying that you believe in God, again, the demons believe and tremble. By, your, by, your, you know, by our faith, by our works, by our fruit, they shall know us. And so we're going to see that we're called to be not just, we're doers of the word, not just hearers. And you know, I have people call me all the time and want to debate me about some minute thing in scripture. And everything in scripture is important. Not a jot or a tittle will pass away. It's all in the Bible for a reason. But I have people call me up and want to spend four hours talking to me about some stuff, Stop! I just go, bro, let's go witness to people. How about I meet with you? Let's get some tracks. Let's go down to the Oaks Mall. You want to do that? Oh, no. You want to just convince me that we have to baptize you know, in Jesus' name only, not the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? And you want to debate that for four hours. Bro, I'm already going to heaven. You don't need to worry about me. Let's go, let's go tell some people that need Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? But you have these people that are, are hearers of the word, and their job is to go around and correct everyone. Look, I know when we get to heaven, all of our theology is going to get corrected some truth. Okay. And when we get to heaven, guys, you know, what's really going to matter is what have I done with God's son? Do I have a relationship with him? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? I'm holding to him tighter today than ever. Most of you know why. If you're new here, my son passed away two weeks ago and it's hard, man, it's hard. It's like someone's ripped my heart out but I can endure because God is faithful. And I'm fine when I think about where my son is, and I grieve when I think about where he isn't, which is in our home. But though he slay us, yet we trust in him. Amen? Amen. I can't imagine going through this without the Lord. It would be impossible. And God knew before the foundation of the world, and we trust him, and we will praise him no matter what. Amen? Amen? We will praise him in the storm. We'll keep our eyes on the Lord and not on the waves. But here's the whole point. The whole point of this is, guys, we want to be doers of the word. We want to walk in intimate fellowship with God. We don't want to just have a a distant relationship. I'm so God. Jesus is my best friend. I love him more than anything. And I love him more today than I ever have. And it's only because of that that I can even stand up here. See, without him, we can do nothing. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? We want to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Number three, having control over your tongue. Oh, hello. We're going to see in James chapter three, it's going to talk about the tongue some more. It says it's a little rudder that can steer a whole ship in the wrong direction. And here's the reality. The Bible tells us that out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. Words don't slip out, they pour out from your heart. You want to know what's in someone's heart? Just listen to them talk for a while. And by the way, I said it last week, it bears repeating, we've got two ears and one mouth, just lose them in purpo- use them in proportion, amen? <laughs> we should be listening twice as much as we speak. We should be slow to speak, slow to wrath, we saw that last week. And so we need to, as, as believers, as we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we should be able to tame and control our tongue, Amen. Remember that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We saw that last week. And a lot of times our mouth starts flowing when we're angry. We ought to be walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Finally, last two points helping those who are truly in need. You know, how do we grow in a relationship with the Lord? Help others. It's got to be about other people. It can't be about you. It's not about you. What is agape? Agape is a selfless love that loves someone outside of itself more than itself. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, a lot, most, most of the world has what, we, what eros. Eros is the word where we, get the, where we get the word erotic, but it is a selfish lust. It's a what can you do for me kind of, uh, of love, if you want to call it that. But see, we're not, as Christians, we shouldn't be, what can you do for me? It's, what can I do for you? It's not, how can you serve me? But how can I serve you? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And so we need to have that agape, that selfless love. And, what, and how is that shown? It's shown in the way you guys have been ministering to my family. And the way that we minister to one another when we're hurting. The way that we reach out to someone. Uh, one of the many things I loved about my son, many things I loved about my son, he was always looking for the person who was hurting and wanting to help them. And I love that. i have been answering his phone, and he gets 15 calls a day. You know, he had a hauling business, very, very successful. And people call him when they find out that he's in heaven. They, they they cry. People are weeping on the phone. And what can we do? And he was the guy that hauled away their junk, but he treated them like family, and he loved them. Guys, this is what we need to do. We need to look. For, there's a lady down the street, and she's you know was older, and he was doing big jobs for her, and she wanted to pay me. Charge her five dollars. It should be 300, right? because his heart was servant. But guys, we all need to have that heart to look at those. There are so many people less fortunate than us. Amen. And the Bible is going to say pure and undefiled religion is to minister to the orphans and the widows. So we want to minister to those who don't have the ability in and of themselves to take care of their needs. Now, again, you've got to remember, this is during the first century church. The church was being persecuted. They had had fled from Jerusalem in all different directions, and there was no welfare system. If the church didn't step up and help them, nobody would. And so we're called to be sensitive to that and recognize that everything we have belongs to the Lord. I love what Pastor Rob sends me. Every time he sends me an email, it says at the bottom of his email, it's his tag. It says, if I've got it and you need it, I'll give it to you. And I love that. And you know what? And I know that's true because I've seen him do it. And that should be our heart. I've got plenty. How many jets can I, you know, how many boats can we ski behind? Amen? How much stuff do we need? We We got plenty. Amen? And we should be those who are ministering to those who are hurting. And then finally, keeping oneself unstained by the world, ministering to the world by having no fellowship with it. You've heard me say it, that the boat's in the water, but the water shouldn't be in the boat. Amen? You know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We minister to the world. We have no fellowship with it. We love people. We want to see them saved, but we don't become like the world to reach them. That's one of the biggest lies in the whole seeker-sensitive movement. We need to become like the world so the world will feel comfortable. I pray if you don't know the Lord today, you're extremely uncomfortable. Amen. I want you to be comfortable that you're loved. I want you to be comfortable that you're, you're welcome here, but the, word, the cross of Christ is a stone of offense. And you know what? We need to be forgiven, and we need to be saved, and because of that, we should be uncomfortable if we're not. All right, let's begin. They're looking at true religion, God's definition, not man's, how man-made rules and rituals, but a rela- not man-made rules and rituals, but a relationship with God, how we grow in our relationship with the Lord. Number one, laying aside wickedness and receiving the word. Verse 21, therefore, therefore, therefore in light of what we just heard, when you see therefore in the Bible, you ask, What's it there for? And it goes back to the previous uh, text. It says right there in the previous verse, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. The key word is all. He doesn't say get rid of some wickedness. Remove the wickedness that you like the least. He says get rid of all of it. We are to love God and hate sin, amen? Amen. And we should view wickedness, we should view filthiness. We'll talk about the meanings behind those words. Filthiness means evil conduct. considered disgusting, offensive, or loathsome. Exhorting those in the midst of a persecution to throw off what the world says is acceptable. I don't care how many laws they pass saying that something filthy is okay. It's not okay if God says it's not okay. The word of God is what determines what is holy and right, not the votes of sinful men. Amen? They can redefine marriage. God's definition is the only one that matters. We can redefine you know, what's right and wrong, and God's definition is the only one that matters. And as Christians, we must not fall into the trap of thinking because the world does it that somehow it's okay. Sexual immorality is physical intimacy outside of marriage. If you're not married, keep your hands to yourself. Amen. Amen? Amen. The reality is that, and ladies, by the way, if he won't treasure you and he won't treat you the way you deserve to be treated until you walk down the aisle with him, run from that guy quickly and you can bring him down here and the pastors will have a little chat with him in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Because guys, we fall into the trap where everybody lives together, everybody sleeps together, everybody's swiping right on, you know, to meet people, everybody's doing it. And we fall into the trap of becoming like the world. And the world is not our example, Jesus is. We don't follow the world, we follow the Lord. Evil conduct, considered disgusting, offensive, loathsome, to, truly, to the truly pure mind. For one who walks in the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit, sin in any form is more offensive and loathsome. See, the closer we get to God, the more we hate sin. You know the sin I hate the most? The sin in my life. Amen? We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Dogs bark. People who don't know God act like they don't know God. They need to come to know the Lord. They're acting according to their nature. So we need to love them. We're no greater than them. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. That being said, the sin that grieves me the most is the sin of my own life. A prideful thought. Anything that comes in and it's like it just grips me. It grips me, it drives me to my knees to cry out to the Lord for forgiveness. And guys, the, the more spiritually mature we are, the shorter amount of time between when we sin and when we repent. It should get shorter and shorter and shorter, amen? From weeks to days to hours to minutes to seconds to nanoseconds, amen? I've had times where the words are just coming out of my mouth and the Holy Spirit has already convicted me, and I'm all, Lord, please forgive me, amen? And so we don't wanna be sin sniffers and pointing at everybody else, amen? You know, what are you doing wrong? Right? That mentality that people have. We don't compare ourselves to other people. God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades at the cross, Amen? amen? So it's our relationship with the Lord that matters. And you know we're gonna see about looking in a mirror here in a minute and how that relates to us. Sin in any form is more offensive and loathsome than even the most heinous stenches to our nostrils or the most vile taste to our palate. God hates sin and so should we. It separates us from him. I promised myself I would try to to not, I want the focus to all be on the Lord and his word, but I want to tell you something that the consequences of sin be more to me than ever because I'm separated from my son. Now, that's what sin does. It separates us. And when you don't know the Lord, you're separated from him. If you don't come to know the Lord, you'll be separated from him for all eternity. Now, here's the good news. When we know the Lord, death has no sting we close our eyes on earth, we open them up in glory. And I'm thankful that because Jesus died on the cross, I've been, since God sent his son to die on the cross, I know not only am I forgiven, but my son's forgiven and I'm going to see him again. And there is a joy and a peace in the knowledge that, guys, this is a vapor of time and what really matters is eternity. My son is home, he's safe. It breaks our heart because I wish he was in my house, but God's got him. Amen? And if you know the Lord, God's got you, amen? amen? God's hands are on you. He has a desire to do intimate, have an intimate relationship with you. And we should hate sin because it separates us from him. The word wickedness there is depraved, malignant, evil. Uh, it's an unashamed practice of evil. That's where you practice evil and you brag about it. It's where you practice evil and you're proud of it. It's where you practice this evil, and it's, it, it, it defines your lifestyle. And you just shake your fist at God, and you walk in it openly, and you mock those who have a relationship with God. You know, we used to be a moral society where there was right and wrong. Then we became an immoral society where we knew right from wrong, but most people chose to do wrong. Now we're an amoral society, which means there are no morals, and the only people that catch any heat are the ones who have morals. Amen? And you know why that happens? because we're being defined by what the world does instead of what God's Word says. And you can't live a life according to the Word of God if you don't read it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Imagine if you looked at your Bible as much as you looked at your phone. What a bunch of spiritual giants we'd have in this room, amen? (laughs) What kind of faith would we have? Get rid of that digital crack, we've all got it, it's right here, (laughs) amen? Put it away. Open up the Bible, read it, obey it. He's speaking here of of temptation. See, in context, he just talked to them about temptation and how to flee from it. And he's talking about this wickedness. You know, amidst the persecution from the world, the enemy's tempting them to turn their backs on God and his word, to disregard the conviction of the Holy Spirit and give themselves over to their fleshly desires. Let me read back from verse 12 to 15. It said, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he receives the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor... Does he himself tempt anyone? But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his what? His own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. The exhortation here is the enemy is tempting us to draw us away, to draw them away to, to their own desires, to be enticed by them. And he wants to, and boy, is the devil a liar or what? Seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He'll tempt you, tempt you, tempt you, tell you how amazing it is. Tempt, 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 tempt. tempt. And then when you do it, he flips on a dime and says, what kind of Christian are you? (laughs) Amen? He's the accuser of the brethren. Goes to, you know, hey, hey, uh, hey, God, there's your pastor today. Look what he just did. Tempt, 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 tempt. Then you do it, then he condemns you. Here's the good news. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But when we sin, we should be driven to our knees to immediate repentance, amen? amen. We don't make excuses for it. We don't, again, we don't compare ourselves to the world. The word of God is our authority and that's what we stand on. His tricks haven't changed in, two, in 6,000 years. Yes, it's only been 6,000 years since Adam and Eve. I actually read the Bible and that's what it says. Kind of getting an amen to that. Here's what he says. Did God really say? When he got to Eve, did God really say? Did he really say that? Did he really say you shouldn't touch that tree? He just knows if you touch that tree, you'll be just like him. Same thing that got him thrown out of heaven is what he tempts Eve with. You know what the Word of God, you know what happens when you're tempted to sin? Did God really say? Well, how do we know the Word of God is true? Well, it's been proven historically, archaeologically, prophetically. I can go down the list with, with you anytime you're ready. Amen. It's 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. That's only possible because God wrote it. So the word of God is true, and the enemy wants you to doubt it. He wants you to question it. He wants you to deny it. So when he tempts you, he's trying to draw you away into sin, where basically when we choose to sin, we are stepping away from what we know the word of God says to fulfill what our flesh wants instead. And here's the sad part. We do it every day. Amen? Amen. We do it every day. But as Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less because we have a different view of sin now that we know the Lord. Amen? So the exhortation here is that, you know, he tempts them. He tempts us. He plays up the immediate gratification and never speaks of the long-term consequences. Yeah, go out with your buddies after work and just throw a few back and, you know, your wife can wait for you. And, and then, you know, the temptation comes and maybe that's a problem for you. And before you know it, you're drunk. And he never brings up you hitting a tree with your car and getting arrested for a DUI. And it's the same thing. He's, he's always drawing you away with the immediate gratification, never speaking about the long-term consequence. And the ultimate long-term consequence of all the long-term consequences is rejecting Jesus Christ and spending eternity in hellfire separated from Almighty God. Pastor said hellfire. I don't think I'm coming back here. You know, the Bible talks more about, Jesus talks more about hell than he does heaven. You know why? He doesn't want any of us to go there. Amen. Amen? Amen? Guys, the best 401k ever is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Closing your eyes on earth and opening them up in glory. Temptation was, you can be as wise as God. They got kicked out of the garden, separated from God. Sin and death entered into the world. Pain and childbirth. So ladies, when you get to heaven, you can go have a chat with Eve. Amen? You did this to me. Amen? Don't blame your husband. It's Eve's fault. Amen? Adam had to toil by the sweat of his brow. Today, we're tempted to just compromise in little areas. As Christians, by the way, pay your taxes. I don't know, they waste it all on their bunch of, uh, I can't believe them, attacks on the ground. With California, California. Doesn't matter. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Amen. They'll answer to God for that. We'll answer to God to be faithful. Amen. Show up and work on time. Work a full day. Amen. Do your job as unto the Lord. Be the best worker in the building. Love one another. Be kind. Minister to people around you. Be faithful. And you know what? Reputation is who you are when no one's watching. Character is who you are. Reputation is who you are when everyone's watching. Character is who you are when no one's watching. May we be men and women of character. Amen? So the enemy, we need to flee. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Don't give him 30 seconds of your attention. The enemy has been all over me since my son went to heaven. How do you know for sure he's in heaven? You know, things like that. Well, when you came home, how come you didn't go into his room earlier? Maybe you would have saved his life. All those things that come all that guilt that comes, my whole family, all of us, what could we have done different? What could we have done? What could we have done? And we know that's the enemy because it grips you. Well, it's good to know is God determined your number of days before the foundation of the world and no one can change it. Amen? And we have that a promise of eternal life. Let every man be slow to speak, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. He's letting him know, look, you're going to be tempted the wrath of man getting into our flesh does not produce the righteousness of God. And again, I, I know when my flesh is rising up, how about you? Don't you know it's coming? Yeah. Yes. You know it's coming. And, and God will often interrupt you before you say the thing you were gonna say to keep, so you give you a chance not to say it. Anybody besides me, to have that happen? You're getting ready to go off on somebody and then someone interrupts and that's just the Lord giving you a break, amen? <laughs> let, me, let me help you out here. Our desires as we succumb to temptation gives birth to sin, and sin again gives birth to death. So let's lay aside all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, unashamed practices of evil, evil conduct. As believers, they were not to take sin lightly. They were to to lay it aside, put it off, cast it away, give no room for the flesh. Guys, we should never make excuses for our sin. Don't do it. Love God, hate sin. Amen? Amen. Then it says, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. See, it's not enough to just put off the old man, but we need to put on the new man. Wickedness will destroy you. The word of God will save you. Say, look, you put away the wickedness and the evil and the, the fleshly desires that you were walking in, and you put on the newness of life, and you seek To know the Lord better by spending time in his word. And spending time in his word helps grow your faith. It helps prepare you for when the temptation comes. The trials of life, hupomone, standing under it, bearing that, that weight with the Lord. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Prepares you when for temptation comes. And so does time in the word. Show me somebody who's in the word consistently. Again, it's been said that sin can keep you from this book or this book can keep you from sin. Amen? And sadly... That same Gallup poll said that only about 7% of people in our country read their Bible on a weekly basis, not daily, weekly. And then we wonder why the country's the mess that it is. It's not just ridding ourselves of our old habits, it's not just fleeing from youthful lust, but being filled up with the word of God, running to it to and resting in the Lord. Bible says the word of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. It's a place we go where we're safe. It's a place we run to when the enemy lies to you. When you're going through times of grief or difficulty or temptation, you run to the Lord and he will bring you peace. You can only have peace if you know the Prince of Peace. Amen? And there's that exhortation to, again, run to the word. Let it be. Let, come to the word, receive it with meekness. You know, we don't... Come to the word and, and again, it, it'll stand any test you want to put it through. But we don't come to the word with an arrogance like we're no better than God. We don't come to the word and doubt it and question it. But, again, I'm not saying we can't put it to the test because we can. Ask Josh McDowell, scientist who went out to prove that the Bible was a lie and that God didn't exist. And as he studied the Bible, what happened to him? He got saved and, now, and he wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He was going to write it how the Bible wasn't the word of God and it became one of the best books out there on why the Bible is the word of God. Amen? So the word will transform lives, but yet we will run to the world full counsel. We'll ask our friends what they think. We'll go, we'll, we'll go self-medicate. We'll do everything else but open up the Bible and allow the Lord to speak to us. Man can only overcome his fleshy desires for so long because without him we could do nothing. The reason those in works-based religion spend most, if not all, their time feeling condemned is they continually fall back into sin. People knocking on your door to introduce you to Joseph Smith are trying to earn their way to heaven. They think they're going to be God of their own planet. And the tragedy is that they've bought a lie. We love them, we pray for them, but Joseph Smith did not die on the cross for you. He didn't create anything. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, always has been, always will be. He's the creator of all things. He alone died on the cross, and only through his name can we be saved. So it's Jesus alone. But people will come and they're trying to earn it. They'll knock on your door, they got to get another notch to try to get to heaven. One way God said to get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way. It's not enough to try and remove our old behavior. We must fill that void with God's word implanted in our hearts. We come in meekness. The word meek there means strength under control. We're to receive his word with a gentleness of spirit, not doubting, disputing, or resisting, fully surrendered to the word of God. The word gentleness and meekness is the opposite of being self-assertive. The ultimate sin is pride. It's pride that got Satan thrown out of heaven. It's pride that keeps us from getting on our knees. It's pride that keeps us from fully repenting. It's pride in our own, in thinking more of ourselves than we ought to. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Meekness and gentleness is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of the human will. I'm going to try to be more meek. That's not going to work. I'm going to be more gentle. You know, Galatians. (laughs) Galatians 5:22 tells us the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness. See, when we walk in the Spirit, we become more gentle. Amen? It's the fruit of the Spirit. When you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you, you become more patient. you become more kind, you have more joy. You exhibit the love of God. and that's a, a, a sign and a mark that you're walking with the, in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I would tell my son often, look, son, just remember you're not going through this difficulty alone. Holy Spirit's living inside of you. I would say the same thing to all of us. Whatever you're going through, remember that the Holy Spirit is always with you. That's great when you need to be comforted, not so great when you're choosing to sin. Amen? Right? Holy Spirit comforts you and convicts you. He'll hug you or give you the head slap. Amen? If you need to be hugged, he'll hug you. If you're getting out of bounds, praise God that those who the Lord loves you disciplines. Amen? He draws us back into right relationship with him. While God can use certain things like you know, a 12-step program or an organization or you know, different things to help us uh, free ourselves of things we struggle with, it's really the transforming work of God's word illuminated by the Holy Spirit that brings our man and woman to the end of themselves. Nothing else will do it. It's an pow- empowering work of the word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of you that changes you. Again, it's not harder work. It's not, it's not a better New Year's resolution. It's not you know, tying up your bootstraps and doing the best you can because without him, we could do nothing. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. The word of God reveals our sin and our need for a savior. So if you're not saved, the word of God will show you how to be saved. And if you know the Lord, it strengthens you in your walk. It builds itself in the most holy faith. Romans 10 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Colossians 1.18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. By the way, my two of my boys built a, a cross. We put it up on on the hillside at the end of our neighborhood. And so we pulled into the neighborhood. We could see it. And it was a reminder of our son, a reminder that the Lord died for him and he's in heaven. And it was only up for six days. And someone went up there and took it down and dragged it off. But you know what it says? You know what that just tells me? The cross of Christ for us is something we see and we recognize that because of the cross, we're going to heaven and we've been forgiven. And it's the greatest act of love in all of human history. And people that don't know the Lord... The cross of Christ is a stone of offense; it offends them. If we'd have put a Buddha up there, they'd have left it for hundred years. But the cross twitched somebody, went up there in the middle of the night and took it down. And so, pray for us. I'm going to put a big one in my backyard. I can't say anything about it, I, and my, my house is on Reno, so we're going to put it, <laughs> put lights on it. You know, pray for us. She was offended by a little tiny cross way up on the top of a hill. Well, let's see what happens. I'm sure the HOA will be calling me another opportunity to preach the gospel. <laughs> Second Timothy. <laughs> and from childhood you have known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You have known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. See, God's word is the source of wisdom, of strength, helps us walk in holiness as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remove the filthiness, remove the wickedness, remove what the world says is okay, and fill that void with the word of God and the spirit of God. Amen? A lot in that verse. Point number two, along with laying aside wickedness and receiving the word, Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Look at verse 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. True belief is made manifest in your behavior. So the behavior doesn't save you. The good works don't save you. But the good works is fruit that you've been saved. By our fruit they shall know us. Anyone can say they believe in something, but if they really believe it, it will not only be heard in their words, but seen in their behavior. So if you really believe it, your behavior will be reflected. Reminds me of an illustration. A guy was walking back and forth across uh, Niagara Falls on a tightrope with a wheelbarrow. And he's walking back and forth, and the whole crowd's there, and they're, they, they're cheering him on. And he says, how many believe I can do it again? And they all raise their hand. He said, who wants to get in the, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? the <laughs> Uh-uh. It's one thing to say you believe, and it's another thing to have actions that follow it. Amen? It's one thing to say we believe the Word of God, and it's another thing to live by it. It's one thing to say we believe in God, and it's another thing to have intimate fellowship with Him. It says that those who only hear the Word who think their knowledge or head knowledge is enough, they just hear it, and they, they know the Word, but they don't know the God of the Word. So we can know the word of God without knowing the God of the word sometimes. And there are those like the Pharisees. They were very religious and very pious. And everybody would have picked them as the ones that would go to heaven above anybody else. They made sure they were in the city square praying at the hour of prayer so people could be amazed by how godly they were. By the way, if you're telling people how godly you are, you're not. <laughs> Amen? You know, as a pastor for 33, I've had people introduce, well, let me just tell you all the things I do for the Lord, you know? And I'm like, wow, he's, you know, they get done. Boy, he's really blessed to have you on his side. What would he do without you? God would just, it would be a mess without you. Look at you, bro. Stop. We're all sinners in desperate need of a savior. We come humbly before the Lord. We receive his word with meekness and we know he, he, he doesn't need us. We need him. Amen. Amen. Said you're deceiving yourselves. Said you're deceiving yourselves. So tragic. If you're just hearers of the word and not doers of the word, you're deceiving yourself. You can know the, the Bible forward, backward, and sideways, use it as a textbook. By the way, this isn't a textbook, this is a love letter. Amen? When you recognize it was written to us from the one who loves us so much, he'd rather die than live without us. And as you've heard me say, the law is not a offense to keep us out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep us from driving off a cliff. See, he gives us the word of God because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. And when we read the word, we need to recognize that this is almighty God speaking to me, speaking into my life, giving direction to my life, and giving me the direction to live a fruitful life. said, so if you hear the word, but you don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. You're deluding yourself. Sadly, this is the state of so many in the world today. Going back to that poll that 80-some-odd percent said they were Christians. Most are deceiving themselves, claiming to believe, in God is not enough. Amazingly, this week I had two calls from families whose children died the same way my son did. And they're looking for funerals, and they want to do funerals. And, you know, God's taking what we've gone through to be able to minister to somebody else. You go from sympathy to empathy. By the way, I hope none of you joined that club, by the way. But you know what? They'll always say the same thing. I've done hundreds of funerals. Everyone will always say, well, he believed in God. And that, certainly that's our hope, right? We want everybody to have believed in God. But where's the fruit? And, and, and it's not my job to judge, and I hope they're all saved. I hope they're all right. But then you start talking to about their life, and when, maybe when they were seven, they walked down and prayed a prayer at VBS, and they're 57 now, and they've, they've lived a life so contrary to the word of God. And we don't want to see anybody go to, nobody, it breaks my heart. But that being said, we can hold on to that to the point of not surrendering our life. Like, I got my get out of hell free card, I walked down and prayed a prayer, here it is, I got my baptismal certificate, it's in my wallet, I'm good. Guys... If we truly have surrendered our life to the Lord, he is the priority and passion of our life above everything else. Amen? Amen. Amen. You You wake up in the morning thinking about him. You go to bed at night thinking about him. You spend the day talking to him. You walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. His Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Guys, we don't want to fall into the trap of thinking well, I believe in God. The word doer there is a performer, one who takes what he or she has heard and then acts upon it. When I do counseling, especially marriage counseling, I typically just turn the Bible around and have them read verses. You know, they have a struggle with this or that, and I'll say, well, what does the Bible say? Well, just read that. What does that say? I don't, I, you know, I don't have, I don't, you know, I'm not the one with the answer. I just know what the answers are. This is a teacher's edition, got all the answers in it, amen? (laughs) Remember the one kid that got the teacher's edition every once in a while? Go over to his house to do homework, right? (laughs) But this is the teacher's edition. It has all the answers for whatever whatever troubles us in life. But you know what the world reads? They don't get it because we need the Holy Spirit. He's the one that ministers the truth to us, amen? He's the one that removes the scales that we understand it. It's not enough to hear or even say that we believe. The demons believe and tremble. What was the great commission? Jesus said, was to go to all the world and make what? Disciples. You know what a disciple is? A learner. So as believers, we are to be learners, ever learning. Here's my prayer constantly. Lord, I want to be closer to you tomorrow than I was today. I want to be closer to you next year than I am this year. We should be constantly growing in our relationship with the Lord, getting closer and closer to him. And I just love that. And that should be our heart. The saddest part to me is, again, save soul, wasted life. Well, I gave my life to the Lord, but I give him, you know, if surf's not up and, you know, it's not a good day for golf, I'll go to church. (laughs) Church should be the thing that you make excuses about everything else. Can't be there. We're going to be in fellowship, but we're going to go hang out with the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, Almighty God. What you got? (laughs) What you got that's better? Do what? go to the beach. He created later. We're going to hang out with him. Amen. Don't want to miss out on people, God's people, using the gifts God's given us. Great commission given by Jesus disciples was to make disciples. And how do we disciple others? How do we grow in our faith? Forsake not together yourselves together. But you ought to be reading the Bible 10 times as much as you get here on Sunday. Amen. That should just be the gravy for what happens during the week. It says in Philippians 4, 9, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. See, so put them into practice. Don't just hear what it says, but live it out every day. You can't just hear it. You can't just watch it. You must put it into practice. In Matthew 7, as Jesus was nearing the end of the Sermon on, on the Mount, after 90 plus verses of exhortation to live holy lives, by the way, greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, read it. Amen? Amen. Sermon on the Mount. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now again, doing good works doesn't save you. Let me make that really clear. We're not trying to earn heaven, but once we've been born again, there will be fruit. He is the vine and we are the branches. He that abides in me bears much fruit. John 15, right? So here we are. He's the, he's the, we, when we get grafted into him, we can't help but bear fruit. And by the way, we don't have to try to bear fruit. You ever gone by an apple tree and hear it screaming? Amen? It <laughs> just bears fruit. That's so what apple trees do. What do Christians do? We bear fruit. It becomes who we are. So we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We're sensitive to his leading, and the Lord will use us. It's one thing to say we believe in God and something entirely different to live for Him, to submit our lives completely to Him. I'll tell you what, I thought, you know, don't take this wrong, but I'm going to live more in reckless abandon for the Lord than ever because heaven is just that much sweeter now. Amen? Older we get, the more people we have in heaven that we love. Heaven's better. Can't threaten me with it. Let's get it. Can I get an amen? Can't threaten me with heaven. I th- I'm, I'm thinking about starting Calvary Chapel, Afghanistan. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Amen. <laughs> Death has no sting. Over 80% of Americans in this thing claim, 88%, claim to be. But fewer than 10% read their Bible in a given week. More than 90% say that they lie on a regular basis. The other 10% were lying. <laughs> <laughs> We kill millions of babies every year. We're a nation filled with crime, violence, drug and alcohol abuse, sexual immorality. Sinful behavior is condoned as free speech and personal liberty. And those who would call sin, sin, are condemned as bigots. Being a part of the religious right, all but a cuss word in modern politics, I would venture to guess that every time someone praises his name, 10 people curse it. Amen? Amen? Isn't it true that you're surprised when someone praises his name on TV, but they curse it all day long? Guess who they can't keep from praising his name? Us. Amen? And they should not be able to keep you quiet. They should not be able to shout you down. Often we're entertained by the very sins Christ died for. We claim to be a Christian nation, but our actions tell a far different story. The context written to early Christians scattered through persecution, dealing with trials, enduring temptation from the enemy, being told to believe it is not enough, that they need to live it, even when they knew that persecution would come. So he said, live it knowing that the response is not gonna be good. You're already running for your lives. Now I want you to live it out loud. Now I want you to go out and preach it with boldness. Now I want you to, why? Why? that's what God's called us to do. Guys, it's not about this brief time. Or as my 10-year-old grandson Ezra said so eloquently, if you were there, 10 years old, said, we're down here on this dumb rock suffering (laughs) and Mark's up in heaven with Jesus. This is but light affliction. Amen? Amen trials of this life. God is good. We will praise him. And there's a day coming when it's all, can, I can't even imagine. I can't wait to see him. Even in the face of such difficult circumstances, What about you and I this morning? Do we have a detached belief in a distant God or do we walk in obedience and intimate fellowship with our Lord and our loving Lord and Savior? Do we see God's word as a mere history book that has little to do with us today or is it the surgical tool that God uses to daily to conform us into the image, into his image? Bible says in Hebrews, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When you only read God's word, but you don't do what it says, it's like you're taking anesthesia, but they don't do the surgery. And we're going to put you under, and then we're going to let you just lay there and do nothing. And then you're going to wake up, and guess what? Nothing's changed. Guys, the word of God should transform us. It's a surgical tool, right, that, that cuts between bone and marrow. It, it divides between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We want to be conformed to his image. Lord, help us to move beyond belief in our heads to belief in our lives. Point number, uh, verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. The Bible talks about the word of God being like a mirror. It reveals our sin. When you wake up in the morning, most of us, first thing we do is go look in the mirror and assess the damage, amen? <laughs> <laughs> Truth? I, I, I wake up in the morning, my wife says I look like, uh, you know, my hair is just, you know, because when you don't have much hair, it just goes, right? And you get up and your eyes are puffy and you know, your breath would, would, would kill somebody if you <laughs> breathe on them. And so we look in the mirror, and, and what do we do? We jump in the shower, and we, you know, I put something in my hair to keep all five of them down, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, we brush our teeth. You know, ladies, maybe you put on makeup, and as Chuck Smith said, if the barn needs painting, paint it, amen? <laughs> but the point is that we, that we wouldn't look in the mirror and then just go out in life that way. Your friends might even, hey, bro, your mirror break? What's up? You know what I mean? <laughs> So, but we do that with the Lord sometimes. You know, the word of God reveals it to us and then we just ignore it. He says they walk away and they forget what they saw in the mirror. See, the mirror is the word of God. And what does it tell me? It tells me I'm a sinner in need of a savior. It gives direction for what kind of husband and father and man I need to be. It gives direction for every part of my life. But here's what happens sometimes. People look in the mirror and they just kind of walk away and leave that behind and forget about it and just go live like the world. The mirror is, again, a reflection. The Word of God reflects to us what we need to be in the Lord. It reveals where we've fallen short. It shows us where we need to change, to be conformed into His image. The Godly response to reading the Word more than just acknowledge it in our heads, but act upon it in our lives. The Word should do more than just educate us. It should transform us more and more into the image of our Savior. I love the Bible. It's so good. And when we read it, and I'll do the class again sometime soon, but the way that I teach, and the way that I teach, I've taught thousands of people in India to teach and other people. It's called inductive Bible study. And here's, it's real simple I interpret, oh, observation, what does it say? I interpretation, what does it mean? A application, how do I apply it to my life? What does it say? What does it mean? How do I apply it to my life? Let's go through each verse. You break it all down in the original language, you see what it says, you find out what it means, and then there's the application. Does that make sense? So as you hear me teaching through the text, you're going to hear me saying, here's what it says, and here's what it means, and then you're going to hear an application. Amen? Well, that's what we need to do when we read the Bible. What does it say? What does it mean? How should I apply it to my life? We're not reading Moby Dick. Amen? We're reading the Bible, the living, breathing word of God, and it should be transforming us. It is a history book. It absolutely is. But it's the only history book that not only do you read it, but it reads you and it transforms your life. Amen? Everything in here is true. Open it, read it, obey it. Not enough to hear the word, but we must be doers of the word. If we hear the word and we do not apply it, it won't take root and it will have no impact. If, If Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Amen? Verse 24. For he observes himself, like I said, and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. If if I only allow God's word to reveal my flaws, but I take no action, I'll soon forget what the word revealed. Again, mirrors like the word reveal the unvarnished truth of the situation, holds nothing back. that, That The one being examined sees it for what it is. And again, when we stand in front of the mirror of God's word, it won't hold back. It will speak the truth into our lives. It will reveal the areas that need to change. And remember that it's a love letter and changing is what the Lord wants us to do. Again, imagine if we got up in the morning and assessed the damage, but did nothing about it, came to church with bedhead, (laughs) things stuck in your teeth, unshaven, right? Disheveled. We'd wonder if you lost your house. What happened to you, bro? Let's help you. God reveals our blemishes and shortcomings, but rather than apply the needed changes, they just walk away from the mirror. God's word reveals truth, reminds us of our shortcomings, helps us to take the necessary steps to become more like our Savior. Without the mirror to remind them, they would forget that they needed a makeover. We all need a spiritual makeover. Amen? Amen. A healthy person looks in the mirror to do something, not just to admire the image. Amen? I used to be a bodybuilder, and it, you know, and these guys, you know, they just stand in front of the mirror, you know, they're just flexing, you know, and they just sit there and do that for hours. By the way, they're easy people to buy things for. If you buy them a shirt too big, they'll be, they'll be flattered. If you buy it too small, they'll wear it. Amen. But, the, but there's this thing where people, we look in the mirror and now we have selfies, right? We really I have people that have more pictures of themselves online than the number of times my father looked at me in my life. You know what I mean? There's this whole focus on us and, and so about me and everybody cares. I'm not thinking about you. You're not thinking about me. We're all thinking about ourselves. Amen? That's what happens when we walk in the flesh. We think about ourselves. We do is the word. Verse 25 it says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful here but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. He refers to the word of God as the perfect law of liberty. The law, God's word indeed is perfect. And where people think the law is binding, in some cases it is in the world, but the law, the word of God is not binding, it's liberating. It liberates us. Here the sun sets free, it's free indeed. Amen? When we know what the word of God says, when we know what God's desire and plan is for our life, it's liberating to go out and live that life with reckless abandon for the Lord. Amen? Amen. And it brings liberty to us. It says in Galatians 5, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made us free. And be not tangled again with the yoke of bondage. As we walk in sin, we struggle under the yoke of bondage. As we walk with the Lord and obey his word, he carries the burden for us. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Walking in obedience to the Lord and his word, being a doer and not just a hearer, doesn't bind us, but it frees us. Love it. Says so he looks into, he speaks of a penetrating examination stepping close to get a deeper look into our lives. And while James stresses doing, he does not neglect the study of God's word either. We should look intently into God's word and then obey it. Note the progression, he looks in, he examines intently the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, continues in it, both looking into it and faithfully responding to it. Not a forgetful hearer, faithful and obedient, actually applying it to your life, and this one will be blessed in what he does. There's a joyous blessing in walking in faithful obedience to the word of God. And now James finishes up the chapter with some very real and practical applications of being a doer. Look at the last two verses point number three there, having control over our tongue. It says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And this one's religion is useless. Wow. (laughs) If someone thinks he's a disciple of the Lord, but he cannot tame his tongue, his religion is useless. That's what he just said. The word religious there is devout. It's become a bad word again, but I'm not religious. I just have a relationship. And it, it has a connotation of legalism. And as we talked about, that word actually means to relink. But note the practical application. If anyone thinks he's devout but doesn't bridle his tongue, the word bridle there speaks of control, to guide, to hold in check, to restrain. If he is devout but does not control or have control over his tongue, he deceives his own heart, and this one's religion is useless. I have people come to me all the time and say, You know, Pastor Dave, yeah, I, I just have F, F you know, I, I grew up on the construction site, so I just have F bombs thrown out of my mouth all the time, and I cuss all day long, and it's just the way I am. I said, Yeah, the sinful way you were that you need to repent of. Amen. 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 Well, everybody on the site does it. Okay, but are they all saved? Because then they all need to repent too. But here's the reality quit comparing ourselves to the world and recognize that what comes out of my mouth is a reflection of what's going on in my heart. It's like that one who looks in the mirror dimly again and forgets who what kind of man is. So he is deceived if he is outwardly religious, but his actions do not reflect the one who's truly walking in. And your walk with God is useless, if it does not translate into the way you live and into your speech. All the religious church attendance, even Bible studies and prayer of little effect, if they do not impact our behavior. Being a doer means more than being religious. It means that their faith impacts their behavior. I would hope you're, you're, you're not anything like the person you were before you got saved. I yes. hope that you're just radically different, that that guy's a stranger. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. So we're dead. That person died and we've been raised to newness of life and we ought to be radically different. Amen? And it should be impacted in, in what we say, what we do, how we live. We'll see that our tongues, though small, can define, defile the whole body. It's a small rudder that steers a huge ship. What we say and how we say it is a huge reflection of our hearts and our level of spiritual maturity. Spoken to those enduring great persecution could have easily found a great deal to complain about. By the way, as Christians, we have nothing to complain about. I got one that's right, kind of, that's it. We all love to complain about our state, don't we? It's our mission field. God put us here for a reason. These people need Jesus. We got one of the greatest mission fields in the world. And the last thing we need to do is leave here to be more comfortable. Be led by the Holy Spirit, not moved by Zillow, amen? Where it's cheaper to live. If God calls you, go. But we need people to stay here, amen? And be salt and light. Let's quit complaining about it. See, there's our mission field. Let's love these people in Jesus' name, amen? Maybe may be reflected in our words. Be a doer. A lot more about our attitude and actions than keeping religious rituals. Notice he says there uh, in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. It reminds me when they questioned Jesus about the greatest commandment. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Love God and love people. That's what we should be doing, loving God and loving people. Amen? The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? Amen. When this time is coming past, only what we've done for Christ will last. Nothing else is going to matter. No hearses pulling U hauls. Amen? Amen. We're going to leave it all behind. How much do they leave behind? All of it. Amen. All of it. So we want to stop winning arguments and start loving people. We don't want to be right. We want to be godly. We want to lead people to the Lord. Love God and love others. Pure and undefiled. The word pure there is clean, blameless, free of corruption, undefiled, unsoiled, far removed from every kind of contamination, religion, religious worship in this case, before God the Father, that God sees as pure. What does God see as pure and undefiled? He sees us ministering to those who are hurting. And we need to do that, amen? Let me just say one thing we minister to those who are hurting, not those who are lazy. Amen? A man who does not work shall not eat. A man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Quit making excuses, get off your duff and go get a job in Jesus' name. Amen? Laziness drives me crazy. Read Proverbs. Next to wisdom is diligence. Amen? So we don't prop up sinful behavior. We should give them the shirt off our back to do the right thing and not a nickel to do the wrong thing. That makes sense. Yes. So when you have a an orphan and a widow and she can't provide, then we need to step up and provide. Amen. We got a lazy guy who wants to sit around and play video games and watch Netflix. Uh, you got nothing coming, bro. Can I get him into that? Okay. So again, but well, we need to have that heart. Look for people who are hurting. Let's help them. Let's help them. Let's get out of our comfort zone. Let's take some of the resources God has given us and use them for His glory and to minister to other people. Amen. Orphans and widows to visit. Notice it says to visit them. Don't just write a check. Go spend time with them. Amen? Invite them to your house. Love on them. Care for them. Minister to them. Bring them groceries. Orphans, parentless, widows. Again, no welfare in those days. And in their time of trouble and tribulation, they, uh, the widow typically was you know could not go out and earn for herself while caring for her kids. But then it says, lastly, and keep oneself unspotted from the world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Pure religion is God's, in God's eyes is reflected in how we relate to people and how we care for those who are struggling and unfortunate and in how we relate to the world. We minister to the world, have no fellowship with it. We don't need to become like the world so we can reach them. Secret sensitive churches will go into a neighborhood. They'll send out a flyer and say, what kind of church would you want if you went to church? And they'll say, well, I want a petting zoo. So the church will open up with a petting zoo. You know, I want, I want it to start at a time that's convenient for me. So well, we'll just wait till you get here and then we'll start. Take your time, right? And there's all this mentality where we make church about this person being comfortable, about it's not about us. It's about him. Amen. 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 And we honor him. By the way, he's done plenty for us, Amen. and he keeps doing more. What a faithful God we serve. He's the center of attention. It's not you. Get over yourself. It's not you. It's him. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Would die for any one of you, and I mean that with my whole heart. But you know what? I will never water down the message to make you feel comfortable because I'm obedient to Almighty God, not you. Amen. Amen. The focus is not on self-righteous or pious attitudes, long robes, religious rituals, drawing attention to oneself, but ministering to others in Jesus' name, while not being conformed to the world. Guys, it's so easy. Any dead fish can go with the flow. It's so easy to just do what the world does. We need some more Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Will stand up when everybody else is bowing. Amen? Amen. We need people like Daniel who will pray when no one else is praying. Your office is your mission field. When you walk into Walmart, the Holy Spirit just walked in there with you, amen? Your neighborhood is your mission field. Guys, we're called to be salt and light. Now, we're not doing this so we can be saved. It's something that happens because we are saved. Does that make sense? So, true religion, laying aside wickedness and receiving the word. We can't just lay aside the wickedness. We need to fill that void with the word of God. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. We can't just know what the word of God says. We need to apply it to our daily lives. Having control over your tongue, out of the overflowing of a man's heart, a woman's heart, their mouth speaks. Helping those who are truly in need. That's what the Lord calls us to do. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. And keeping oneself unstained by the world's corruption. We're now gonna go to a time of communion. And communion is... A time where we reflect on the greatest act of love in all of human history. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The elements are gonna, the worship team is gonna come on up, the elements will be passed. I just want you to hold on to them for a moment. We'll take them together. And three things I would encourage you to do. As you have the elements in your hand, look back and remember the cross of Calvary, the greatest act of love in all of human history. We need to be reminded daily, hourly of the greatest act of love. So remember the cross. But the Bible also says that it's a time that we examine our own hearts before God. So look back to the cross, but look within your own heart. Maybe this needs to be a time of confession between you and the Lord, where the text today convicted you, or you're just being convicted by the Holy Spirit, and you're like, Lord, you know what? This is an area that needs to change. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. So not only do we look back to the cross and look within to examine our own hearts, but we look forward. Because Jesus told the disciples He said, the next time I do this with you, I'll do it with you in heaven. Do you know we're going to take communion in heaven? Well, I'm ready for that. How about you? Matter of fact, we can start it here and finish it there. Rapture would work for me right about now. (laughs) Amen. Lord, we just ask now that as we go to this time of communion, that we would take this time to examine our own hearts before you, to look back to the cross of Calvary. And Lord, to look forward to the day we'll be in your presence forevermore. We do this as an act of worship. In Jesus' name we pray.